uh, and exhortation as they were reoccupying that land. So historically, uh, contextually, that's where we find ourselves with the book of Malachi, and we're going to read chapter 1, and then I just have a few thoughts, and then we're going to pray and see what the Lord wants to do. So let's look at Malachi chapter 1, Malachi 1, the burden of the Lord. To Israel through Malachi, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I've loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. I've made his mountains a desolation, appointed his inheritance for jackals in the wilderness. Though Edom says, we've been beaten down, but we'll return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. Men will call them the wicked territory, the people to whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Answer, you're presenting defiled food on my altar. You say, how have we defiled you, God? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. The Lord's answer, verse 8. When you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Would you offer that to your governor? Would he be pleased with that offering? Would he receive you kindly if you did, says the Lord of hosts. But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you that would shut the gates, that you would not uselessly kindle fire, on my altar with your sacrifices. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name, a grain offering that's pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you're profaning it because you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and for its fruit, it's to be despised. You also say, how tiresome it is to sacrifice to the Lord. You disdainfully sniff at what you bring. And the Lord says, you bring what you took by robbery. What is your leftover? And what is your sick? That's how you bring an offering to the Lord. Should I receive that from your hand? Cursed is the swindler who has a male in his flock and promises it but then gives his blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. So again, God's direction here, we'll stop there. That's chapter one of four. This is God's direction. It's his exhortation. It's a promise. And I really believe it's an invitation to his people and to us today. A few things to consider as we look at this passage. The first five verses I would call my talking point for this is that obedience and devotion are important to God. Duh. <laughs> this book opens and makes it very clear by illustrating Jacob and Esau, two imperfect people, but one sought to please God and the other regarded the offering as something very casual. And guys, we don't ever want to approach God casually. We have coffee and candles, and while our decor and style is casual in this church, 
our religion is not. He is a great king. And Esau's mistake, I won't go into the story for the sake of time, but Esau's mistake is that his, his devotion was half-hearted and it was exposed. He talked about serving God and sacrificing to God, but when it came time, he sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And this is the difference between the talkers and the walkers. This is the difference between the devoted and the pretend. And every one of us has to ask ourselves that question. Am I a Jacob or an Esau? Two flawed, sinful men. Why did God love one and hate the other? Because he saw their hearts. Jacob was not his favorite. It was the obedience and the devotion of Jacob that pleased God and caused him to say, I love Jacob and I hated Esau. Because the Lord does not accept a fake offering. He does not want it. He's a great king, and it's important to him. So I would ask you today, what are, let's just talk about, and I'm going to get your answers. As we bring our, our sacrifice to God, we no longer bring animals, but what are maybe some physical signs of our devotion to the Lord? What do you guys think? Awesome, awesome, yeah. The quality of your gift. Okay, so we're talking about a physical gift. Yeah, great. Others? Praying. Hmm? Praying to God. Praying, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, prayer, devotion. Excellent. Yeah. Others? Praise God. Yeah, worship, praise, absolutely. Absolutely. Sacrifice of praise, that's what the scripture says. Any others? Studying the Word of God. Excellent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Imperative. Merle. Tithe. Tithe. Yeah. Tithe. We talked about that. Ellie. Serving. Serving. So good. Yeah. Serving. Like, prove it. Like, Luke 646. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? You know, serve. Do. Any others? Forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah. Absolutely. Forgiving. Yeah. Sacrifice. And he even says that to tie that in. Jesus says, before you go to the altar, if you're mad at someone, forgive them. Don't come to my altar and pretend you're praising me if you're mad at somebody. Go deal with that. We had one more somewhere at Melody? Obedience. Yeah, obedience. Obedience. Obedience, one. Loving others. Loving others, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's so much. We could go on and on. But I want to just, I ask that question because I want us to think, because you might read this and say, like, I'm uselessly kindling fire on my altar. Like, Lord, I didn't burn a fire for you. Here's the thing, guys. Your fire is loving others. Your fire is your prayer. Your fire is your singing. Your fire is your tithe. Your fire is your service. Your fire is showing up. That is our sacrifice to God. And I would just say that we can't be casual. Like, if you're here now and you're just, like, on Facebook or email doing something else, just leave. Like, just leave. Don't, don't play the game. I'd rather you not be here. I'm, I'm serious. That's probably why this church has never grown past about 250, because I say things like this all the time. But if you're going to come and play, don't come, because God is a great king, and he's worthy of us coming and saying, sir, here I am. And it's not, sir, like I'm scared. I'm kind of scared because he's a great king. But he's just so big and wonderful. And his glory covers the earth. And we come into that atmosphere humbly, ready to learn. Not from what Jeff says. 
It's what is the Holy Spirit saying and doing. And guys, by the way, if we come in that attitude, that welcomes more of the power and presence of God. He comes to people that are choosing not to play around. And I want that. Like, I'm going to be dead soon and so are you. Don't you want to experience all God has for us? I mean, shouldn't some church somewhere on this planet experience fullness of God? Coming, doing the things he promises here? That's a way. So obedience and devotion are very important to God. The quality of the offering matters. The quality of the offering matters. A few of you uh, mentioned this in, in what you were just sharing. And so in verse 6, he talks about what do you bring. And, and it, uh, just a very, you know, it's, it's very plain in the text that when they brought their tithe, their sacrifice, they brought something that was defiled. So they looked, and let's just, let's just use money as an example. They looked at their, their money, they looked at their income, and rather than bringing their first and their best, as they were called to, they said, let me just kind of get, you know, this is, you know, I'll just kind of bring my leftovers, or a thoughtless, a casual offering. And the Lord was very clear that he was not pleased by that. It was haphazardly done. And we are called, guys, to give gifts of love cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. I met her 31 years ago. And on our sixth day of our relationship, um, I, it was Valentine's Day. And I didn't know what to do because I'd never dated a girl. But there were flowers everywhere, so I bought a rose or a carnation, I don't remember which. And she was at the Augusta College, now Augusta State University. She was in, I think, humanities class, sitting in an auditorium with, you know, a couple hundred seats, as I remember. And uh, <clears throat> so I decided I was going to be um, Prince Charming, and I bought a single, I think it was a rose or a carnation. Do you remember? It was a carnation. It's all I could afford. <laughs> I had three jobs in college, for real. And um, so I brought her a carnation, and she was sitting there, and it was just before class was starting, and everyone was getting ready. And I walked in right in front of everybody in the middle of the thing, and I put the carnation down on her desk. And I said, happy Valentine's Day. I was terrified, by the way. Terrified to do that. And uh, I did it, and I think it worked, because here we are 31 years later. And... Um, why do I tell that story? I esteemed her as being worthy of honor. I esteemed her as being worthy of me breaking up my schedule and showing her that she was worth it to me. And my point is we give gifts not as an obligation but as a joy because we esteem the person we're giving the gift to, as wonderful and worthy. And if that's how we are, or at least should be, with humans, how much more with the Lord of the universe? I said it before, my thesis of this message is, we give cheerfully and willingly because we're captured by the greatness of God. And if you're in, for example, a marriage and you've stopped showing that kind of affection, then that is something that must be addressed. Perhaps your selfishness has caused you to stop seeing 
the worth and wonder of the spouse that you have. And I throw that out there with all sobriety and seriousness. If you're in a situation where that's happened and that glow has died, it's time to recapture the appreciation of that person. And the way we do that, there's one way. It's repentance of our selfishness. We stop looking for what we can get out of that relationship and we start trying to give. Isn't that what we signed up for if you got married, by the way? I mean, I kind of remember the vows as being like, for better or worse, to love and to serve. Everyone say that with me. Serve. Can we say it again? Serve. Okay. So it's the same with God. If you find that your relationship and love for God has cooled, it's time to recapture the greatness of God. And guys, crawl, beg, bleed, do whatever it takes to recapture the greatness of God in your relationship with him. It usually starts with repentance. And if this hits you today and you're like, man, I just kind of feel stale. You know, I feel like that, that vision, there's just, I'm covered by leaves. Repent. God, I've let all this stuff get in between us. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to just rake out all that muck and expose this thing that we had once with, with, together. He says uh, some biting words in verse uh, 8. He says, okay, you're bringing your leftover. Is that what you give your governor if your governor was coming over? So I'm just going to do this because there's a reason Malachi says that. He picks a person that perhaps they would have some respect over or respect for. So I'm going to be a little political. Who's your person? Maybe your person was Hillary Clinton. Maybe your person was Donald Trump. Maybe your person was Joe Biden. Maybe your person was Stacey Abrams. Maybe your person was Brian Kemp. Okay, I have everybody significantly riled now in some way or the other. <laughs> Whoever your governor, president, leader of choice would have been or none of the above, I just want you to think about that because the illustration is given to us. He says, would you have your governor over and would you give them the leftover chicken? Now, I saw this great thing a few years ago, and I'm going to show it now, because this is a solution to all of us. <laughs> if only Rick Astley were president, because he will never give you up. He will never let you down. He will never run around. He will never desert you. He will never make you cry or say goodbye or tell a lie or hurt you. Now, why am I sharing that? I'm just, I want to diffuse it, but I just want you to think about whether it's Trump or Clinton or Biden or Kemp or whomever or Rick Astley or Beyonce or Elon Musk or whoever your person is that you respect and say, that's a person that, what if I had them over? Let's get Rick out of the way now because we'll get back to the passage. Imagine that person that's of respect in your life. Maybe it's Dave Matthews, okay? Just... That person's in your head now, okay? You're having them over. Would you give them the rotten turkey sitting in your, your refrigerator? Would you give them out-of-date milk sitting in your refrigerator? Would you let the dirt on your floor and the cobwebs on your fan go uncleaned if you had someone over that you considered worthy of esteem? Most of us, hopefully, the answer is no. 
I would try to prepare the very best for that person were they to come over. And Malachi says here very clearly, then why do we treat God with our leftovers and give him our leftovers? The average American household spends 4.3% of their budget eating out. The average American household spends 3% of their budget giving to charity or their local church. The average American household spends 4.3% of their budget eating out. The average American household, Christian, spends 3% of their budget tithing to their church. What does that say? It says Olive Garden is more important than the kingdom of God to most Christians in this country. Swallow that. But I don't have any money. Did you hear April's testimony? Did you hear Mike's last week? It's not about money. It's about the heart. Guys, if the heart's given, the money goes. If the heart's given to Jesus, the money... Here's the thing. If I struggle to give him 10%, what happens when he asks me for 100%? Because as I read the Gospels, he says, I want your whole life. Guys, shh, 10%'s easy. 10% of your gross is easy. Because 10%'s nothing. Jesus says, give me everything. Give me all of you. And when his heart, our heart is given to him, that's how that happens. Going to make some strong statements and then end with an encouragement. Half-hearted devotion is unacceptable to God. We have to do the scripture justice by looking at this part. These are strong statements in verse 9 through 14. In verse 9 he says, if you bring that kind of offering, will God receive you kindly? In verse 10 he says, when I see this coming, I just wish someone would just shut the gates of the people bringing the offerings. Don't waste your time kindling the fire so you can burn your sacrifice. I'm not pleased with it. In verse 10, he says, I will not accept it. You might think, well, God's a big, he's a big, you know, happy. He's like Lonnie Frisbee in the movie. You know, who's seen the movie? Lonnie Frisbee, you know? Have you ever listened to one of Lonnie Frisbee's sermons in real life, by the way? He was a hell and damnation preacher. Go listen to him. He was very clear about the judgment of God on sin, including his own. Verse 12, he says, these kind of offerings profane me. Verse 14, he says, cursed be the swindler that gives me that kind of offering. Who wants to be called a swindler in God's economy? I don't. Do you? Like, do you want to be known by God as being someone that just kind of gave haphazardly? Well, the invitation here is that God is a great king and he is worthy of our best. Verse 11 and verse 14 repeat that theme. He says to his people, I am a great king. My glory will be known. I will be revered throughout all the earth. And to me, that is the, the moment we get captured. We give cheerfully and willingly because we're captured by the greatness of God. And that's how we give. And I'm not just talking about our money, folks, although money is indicative. I'm talking about our lives, our devotion to the Lord, our willingness to get up early before our spouse and our kids, if we have kids, do, and say, I'm going to give to God. Why does that happen? Does it happen because we're really devoted or we're really disciplined? Maybe that's part of it, but here's, it always starts that, again, you are smitten by Jesus, and he is willing, you are willing because he is worthy of your very best.
Uh, A.W. Tozer says it this way in this not the knowledge of the holy, one of my favorite little books. He wrote this from uh, about 80 years ago. And he says this, the message of this book does not grow out of these times, but it is appropriate to them. It is called forth by a condition that's existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking worshiping men. The loss of the concept of majesty has come just when the forces of religion are making dramatic gains and churches are more prosperous than at any time in the last several hundred years in the first world. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses are wholly internal. Since it is the quality of religion that is affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed gains are really losses in the eyes of God. It is my opinion that the Christian conception of God current in these middle years of the 20th century, this is 70, 80 years ago, is so decadent, how much more so now, as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers something amounting to a moral calamity. All the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together and at once, would be nothing compared to the overwhelming problem of God, that he is that what he is like, and that we, what we as moral beings must do about him. He says that, in other words, were our, 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 the glimpse and the, the honor and the majesty of God restored in us, there is nothing we would not do or give to him. And I can't inspire you this, like with a convicting message. Like, I can't. I prayed, and this is a heavy message, and I was praying this morning. I was like, Lord, I just don't care. <laughs> Here's why I don't care. Because it's on you and God. I, I can set the table. Here's the table. Here's the food. But, but guys, we have to experience, you, you have to experience God yourself. And when you experience God, and sometimes it just happens, you know, Paul was walking to Damascus, and it just happened. Now, he logged a lot of you know, preface to that experience. But we have to push through the crowd. And we have to say, I, I see a glimpse of you, and you're definitely better than anything I've experienced on this earth or could. And I have to have you. And when we get that, that's the grace of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and saying, come to me. I'm inviting you in. And then we have a choice whether or not we'll respond. It's, you know... I just was sharing about, about my marriage, you know, back to my marriage. Last week, we celebrated 27 years of marriage. And thank you. I would jump in front of a truck for her 100 out of 100 times. Why? Because I was smitten by her, and I gave her my heart, and I committed her my life. Now, Ephesians, Song of Solomon, make it clear that earthly love is simply a picture of the love of Christ in his church. How much more than for Jesus? How much more than for Jesus? Why? He is a great king. He's worthy of our best. He's the one that the, the angels bow to, that heaven bows to, that the, the myriads of myriads of angels bow to. And once we catch a glimpse of him, 
and then push through the crowd, that's when we say, Lord, where else would I go? When we were starting this church, it was an incredibly difficult endeavor. Um, most of you have heard me talk about this, but for those who haven't, very briefly, we started this church with myself and my wife and two kids, no money, no salary, no building, no chairs, no sound system, no members, no announcement, no ordination, none of it. And it was very difficult. And uh, I remember one day, the very beginning, the first few months, I was going to the Martinez post office and I uh, was experiencing all the trepidation that a move of faith will cause you to experience. And I walked in to mail something and, uh, and I saw this on the banner. I don't know if it's still there, but they had it in these really pretty, uh, kind of like nickel-looking, dull nickel-finished letters in a semicircle when you walked in. And, uh, and it says, Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. That inspired me. And I thought this. If they'll do that for mail... I'm giving everything I have for Jesus and his kingdom. Nothing's going to stop me. And I stopped right there and I said, God, do it. Just put it in me, whatever it takes. Put it in me. This is required reading for every man on the planet. Iron John, I'm going to read you a short quote and we'll be done. He says this. When the warrior in you is in service to the true king, capital T, capital K, that is, to a transcendent cause. You will do well. Your body will become a hard-working servant, which you require. It will endure heat, cold, pain, wounds, scarring, hunger, lack of sleep, hardship of any kind. Your body will respond well. The person in touch with this energy can work long hours, ignore fatigue, do whatever is necessary, finish their Ph.D., and all the footnotes, endure obnoxious department heads, live sparsely like Ralph Nader, write as T.S. Eliot did under a single dangling light bulb for years, clean up, spit, and filth endlessly like St. Francis or Mother Teresa, endure contempt, disdain, and exile. A clawed hand will take the comfort-loving baby away, and a warrior will instead inhabit your body. That's what happens when we get a glimpse of the great king. We then give it all. We give cheerfully and willingly because we're captured by the greatness of God. I would suggest this morning, if you hear this chapter this morning and you feel like my devotion is somewhat compromised, the Lord is inviting you isn't it great? Like, he didn't give this and say, you're all going to hell. He gave it and said, come back. I want you back. I want you back. Like, it's an invitation. It's always an invitation, guys. Isn't it? And I believe it's an invitation for the, from the Lord. For us as a church right now, to look at the quality of our devotion. And if we find ourselves in a place that we're lacking, say, oh Lord, forgive me. I've gone astray. I've, I've got, I'm tired. Would you come back into my life? Would you restore in me again the vision of the great king? That I would... Guys, I don't respond well to fear. I don't respond well to yelling. You know what I respond well to? 
this. That's how Jesus got me. How did he get you? He got me, he showed me my sin, and I felt like I was going to die a thousand times. But then he showed me his love. And I was terrified when I saw my sin and his glory, and my sin in the presence of his glory. But then he showed me his love. And I thought, how in the world could this be? That he would still want me. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And he says, come to me, come to me, come to me. I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'm always willing. So, let's stand.